Hi, I'm your host, Bella Page, and welcome to the Post-Concussion Podcast, all about life after experiencing a concussion. Help us make the invisible injury become visible. The Post-Concussion Podcast is strictly an information podcast about concussions and post-concussion syndrome. It does not provide nor substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or another qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on this podcast. The opinions expressed in this podcast are simply intended to spark discussion about concussions and post-concussion syndrome. Welcome to today's episode of the Post-Concussion Podcast with myself, Bella Page, and today's guest, Elizabeth Riley. Elizabeth is the host of the Damsels Podcast as well as a young healthcare professional and a certified pharmacy technician with a background in helping patients with gaining financial access to medications. In her early life, she experienced two brain injuries that have led her to experience severe chronic migraines, memory, and focus issues, as well as depression and anxiety. Through her experiences, she has fought to work consistently to help combat the stigma on mental health. Her blend of nerdy feminism and comedic antics on her podcast welcomes her to be open about her own mental health by relating to the experiences of the characters they discuss. Welcome to the show, Elizabeth. Thank you for having me. Can you tell everyone a little bit about your injuries? They occurred quite a while ago and then how it affected you. Yeah, so I was in kindergarten when I had my first major head injury. I was in the backyard playing t-ball with a friend of mine, and she swung the bat backwards and hit me in the head. I had to have, I think, 13 or 14 stitches, something along those lines, and I still have the scar to this day. And Then a year later, I was actually hit in the same spot when, you know, just kind of fooling around when you're kids and messing. And so essentially, after that, I started to kind of develop some memory issues and headaches and things over time. Not so much that affected me when I was younger, but things that have kind of just compounded as I've gotten older. Yeah, I also find you maybe start to notice it more when you're older. Like as a kid, you wouldn't realize that this isn't normal. Right. Yeah. There was lots of times where I had to remind myself that having a headache every day wasn't normal. (laughs) Yeah. And it's funny because I come from a family where a lot of people have had migraines. So my sister suffers from chronic migraines and my dad actually did when he was younger, but he grew out of them and he was so convinced that my sister and I would both just grow out of our migraines, that we weren't going to have to worry about them in the long term. And it turns out that's not really the case for the both of us. So <laughs> That would have been nice, eh? <laughs> yeah, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'm like, oh, maybe I'll grow out of this. Like Maybe it'll just wake up one day and be like, all symptoms gone. <laughs> That'd be awesome. It would be wonderful. You have to like think about like when you grow out of it, what's the age, you know, that you grow out of things? So, you know, is it 27? Is it 37? Is it 47? <laughs> yeah, for sure. So you mentioned the memory problems. Can you explain what that's like? 
Yeah. So really, like I said, it kind of compounded over time. I was a really great student in high school and even kind of in my beginning college years. But after a while, it started to become very taxing to try to remember like, you know, certain concepts in math and science and and those areas. And from there, it really kind of progressed into my everyday life and things that you shouldn't be forgetting. You know, a lot of people kind of make that reference to, you know, they're getting older if they forget to turn the stove off or something. Well, that's happened to me a couple of times, actually. Fortunately, nothing terrible has ever happened. But forgetting to turn the stove off, I'll panic, you know, if I'm on my way to work and thinking that I forgot to turn my flattening iron off or, you know, my hair curling iron or something. So just really kind of short term, little bursts of memory that are just not there. Do you find a lot of people just kind of, they say that, Oh, I forget things all the time too. Like, is that a common reaction you get? Absolutely. A lot of people kind of just compare it to the general everyday you forget things. But most days where I can't remember, you know, like, what did I have for breakfast? Or like, did I stop at that stop sign 20 seconds ago? Just things that completely... And it's very anxiety inducing because you're trying to go about your regular day and you're forgetting particular things that are super important and you wouldn't really think about them that much if you weren't constantly forgetting them. Yeah, for sure. Do you have any tips for coping with the memory problems? I know it can be really hard to come up with those. (laughs) So coping with memory issues is a very kind of difficult Thing to navigate. I've talked to my neurologist about it. I've talked to my therapist about it and just trying to find little ways to help me remember things. Obviously, it's hard to carry around like a pen and paper everywhere you go, but I do try to write things down a lot because that seems to kind of keep you know, things in order and help me to remember to do things. I keep a planner, like actually I keep two planners and I actually like spend a ton of money on my planners throughout the year. It's pretty bad with all the stickers and stuff, but I feel like those kinds of positive things, like things that you like, reinforcing your memories with those has helped me a bit. And just recently talking to my therapist about it, there are some memory tricks that you can do kind of associating your memories with wacky and like completely out of normal things. And that kind of helps as well. So yeah, that's awesome. Thank you for the advice. I know for memory for me, I text myself all of the time, like all of the time, like in a conversation with say, my brother, and he's giving me advice about the podcast or like the business and I text myself immediately because if he gives me an idea, by the time I get to my office, I'll probably forget. Yeah. And so I find that's really helpful. And as you mentioned, that memory thing with like associating things with other situations, it's like when you chew gum and you study. Yeah. I know that can help when you go into a test if you chew the same flavored gum. They say it can make a big difference. I know I did it all through (laughs) university because I already had memory issues. So I was like, I'll take every bit that I can get. But those aren't 
really things that are going to help you with like forgetting to turn the stove off. Like you could yeah. text yourself that, but like that's kind of... Yeah. It's like super redundant. Yeah. That you would just continue to text yourself constantly. Like I turned the stove on or I turned <laughs> I turned my phone yeah, exactly. on. And then I would be the one though to forget to text or like to forget to write it down. So mm-hmm. I would I would even forget that step of it. But, you know, obviously as a functioning adult in society, right? Like I can remember a lot of things. I just feel like one thing that I have always kind of done to help me with memory is thinking about things in like a song. And as kind of lame as that sounds, I can't for the life of me. And I I think I will die remembering the X equals negative B plus or minus the square root. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, you know, exactly. (laughs) Yes. And I, for the life of me, I can't even remember what it's called right now, but I will remember that formula until the day I die because (laughs) my teacher in high school taught it to us in a song format. So, And some people uh, do learn that way or just remember that way. I know my little sister could listen to a song like once and tell you all of the words of the song the next time she listens to it. Yeah. Where me, I'm not like that at all. And <laughs> with the planner thing too that you mentioned, like my calendar is kind of my life. Mine's on my phone and it's also the same on my computer and the same on my iPad. So it's the same everywhere and they're all connected. And like somebody will ask me, what are you doing tomorrow? And I have to look because I cannot yes. tell you. <laughs> like, like I will look and then I will let you know. But yeah. that's why... I find it makes a big difference and it's definitely worth keeping up with if it'll help you. Right. So something we had discussed when we talked before the recording was the pain scale not being the same for everyone. So for me, I know my 10 is definitely different than other people's 10 after living with chronic pain. So want to give us a deeper understanding of what that might mean? Yeah. So it's all about perception, right? Like our perspective. So I have a different perspective, even with the chronic pain that I have than you have. So your 10 could be, you know, a 12 for me or even a nine for me. And so whenever you go in to the hospital, right, they always ask you that question of like, what's your pain on a scale of one to 10? And you kind of have to throw a guess at it. At least that's what I do, because I... Again, with the memory issues, (laughs) I can never remember if this is the 10, like if this is the absolute worst that it's ever been. And then you're in the moment and a lot of things are going on. So you're kind of, you know, you, you can't put that number on it. It's very hard to kind of grasp. But I think that what's helpful is kind of understanding the person and what they've dealt with in their life. And I know that you can't really go over all of that with a nurse who's just trying to take your vitals, but just maybe kind of getting some idea of the level of pain that a person is in. Because, you know, there are people who, if they're at a 10, they're screaming, they're yelling, they're, you know, punching the wall, they're doing anything that they can to really avoid that pain. Whereas when I'm at a 10, it's almost like I black out. And I, one incident I clearly remember from when I was a kid, probably about like 14 or 15 years old, I came out of almost a blackout with a steak knife in my leg. And I had essentially done whatever I could possibly do to get rid of the pain or to focus that feeling somewhere else from my migraine that I, I mean, I was willing to essentially stab myself to try to 
get that pain focus in another area. So I don't know, the pain scale is a hard thing to contend with. For sure, especially like going into the ER and you're trying to explain to someone, like you said, you're, you've just met them and you're trying to tell them that I have chronic pain. So when I tell you I'm at an eight or a 10, like that's a lot, like I'm really in a lot of pain. I still remember coming in on an ambulance and telling them I was a 10 out of 10 and the doctor looking at me, questioning me because I wasn't screaming. I was screaming on the inside, but I didn't need to scream. Like I've dealt with this before. Right. I just took an ambulance ride to the hospital. I'm done crying. I'm in a lot of pain and I would like you to take it away. It's almost like an exhausted feeling, right? Like, I don't know if you experience that, but it's almost like you're just, you're so tired of the feeling of the pain that when you're in that moment, it's like they've turned the dial up very slowly. So you're used to it now almost. You do become used to it. I remember when I got a massage one day, my therapist was like, well, yeah, but your headaches aren't, you're so used to headaches that a normal headache is like, oh, whatever. (laughs) Yeah. "Mm -hmm." It definitely changes. Even just answering the questions, like when I go to the neurologist and they're like, okay, how many days the past three months did you have a headache? And then they ask, how many days did you have a migraine? And so obviously drawing that line between, you know, what's just a regular little headache that I have constantly versus an actual full-blown migraine. Yeah. And another thing, I never called mine migraines because I didn't I call them like concussion headaches. They're almost different from a migraine. Like the mm-hmm. pain is severe, but you don't get a lot of those migraine effects like the auras and a lot of that stuff that people can get. I have gotten migraines like that, but I find like my concussion headaches are actually different. When I try to explain them to doctors, they kind of look at me like <laughs> I'm a little crazy, but if they've dealt with concussions, they get that when you've had a lot of head injuries sometimes, or everyone's headaches are just really different. Some people, the pain really stems from one spot or feels like someone's stabbing you or sometimes it feels like your head's exploding. So it can be different for everyone. So with that, we're actually going to take a break. So you can find Elizabeth at patreon.com slash damsels, which will also be in our show notes. Be sure to stay tuned to hear about the stigma of modern versus alternative medicine practices. Want to create awareness for concussions? Want to support our podcast and website? Buy Awareness Clothing today on postconcussioninc.com and get 10% off using Listen In. That's L-I-S-T-E-N-I-N. And be sure to tag Post Concussion Inc. in your photos. We'd love to see them. Welcome back to the Post-Concussion Podcast with myself, Bella Page, and today's guest, Elizabeth Riley. So we're going to get into Riley's job, which is in the healthcare sector. Do you want to give us some more information on that? Yeah. So I have worked in pharmacy for about five or six years now, and I transitioned. I was originally just like a retail everyday technician that you see at like Walgreens or CVS, but I quickly kind of found my stride and was able to transition into a hospital setting where I did a lot of medication histories and, you know, worked with more direct patient care. And as of late, the last two years, roughly, I have 
been working in medication access. And essentially what my job is, is to evaluate patients' ability to pay for their medications and kind of help them learn about different programs that are available to them, kind of navigate the insurance process, as well as assisting with services that we provide at like the mail order pharmacy at the hospital that I work for. So I do a lot of prior authorizations, which anybody that has ever used Mgality or Amavig or any of those medications for headaches probably are familiar with the prior authorization process. That's essentially the way that I explain it to people is that it's the insurance has a conversation with itself saying, do they really need this expensive medication? And then they ask your doctor, who prescribed the medication to you? So clearly you need it. They ask your doctor, do they really need this medication? And kind of a huge part of my job is telling the insurance companies, yes, they need this medication. Yeah, that's huge. The US, I'm like up in Canada, so it's a lot different. We don't really have that, but it's really important what you do. I have a lot of guests come on and lots of people that reach out that one of the biggest health problems when dealing with this is how are they going to afford it? Because in in Canada, you even have to pay for a lot of the care because it's kind of out of the regular spectrum of what would be included in your typical health care. And then in the US, all of it's not included. So it's quite a bit to go through. And something I really wanted to focus on today is the stigma of avoiding doctors. As people feel they're not out there to help you, I just feel like you are involved a lot with doctors. So a lot of people in the concussion community that I've found, they get like one bad response from a doctor or maybe a few, but then they never go back. Like they never go back to these people that are medically trained to help you. Yeah. And I just want to help like reduce that from happening. Yeah. So stigma is always going to be a barrier to care, no matter what you're looking at. And, you know, with my job trying to remove even that little bit more of a barrier to care with the cost, I think is huge. And that really leans into kind of another kind of more focused conversation on that stigma of avoiding the doctor. And I think that there are many reasons that people do avoid it, not necessarily because they can't afford it, but because they're scared, they don't want to get the answers that they're, you know, thinking that they're going to get. And there's, you know, almost that white coat syndrome where people are just afraid in general of the doctor. I think that avoiding doctors and kind of the scientific based medicine that we have nowadays, I think is just kind of a grave mistake because, like you said, you could get, you know, one bad response or one bad interaction from one doctor and then just, you know, kind of screw the whole system. Reality is that it's not a one size fits all. And trying to find the right doctor to help you, especially with issues that are neurological in nature, it's definitely a challenge. And it requires a lot of patience. And it requires a lot of almost kind of self talk and self-evaluation because you have to be able to explain your condition in many different ways. Just because somebody understands it when you explain it one way doesn't mean another person's going to understand it. And so I think a lot of people don't understand how to advocate for themselves like that and kind of build that communication bridge with their providers. I like that. I really like that, like explaining it differently. I've never thought of that before because I see 
I've seen all different kinds of health care providers mm-hmm. from alternative medicine to the prior. And I've seen kind of neurologists, like medical doctors. I've seen people who do have certificates, people that don't, that just help people with concussions as well, which can be a little nerve wracking because there's no like basis for their education. So there's some of that out there too. Lots of concussion clinics popping up like all across North yeah. America I've been seeing and there's no credentials needed for those. So a little nerve wracking for people to be claiming to help something that we don't actually know that much about. One of my biggest, like, I guess, annoyances is when I see people who are part of like multi-level marketing companies or essentially what I refer to as pyramid schemes, but they may be selling a product that has given someone good outcomes. But for the most part, these people aren't doctors that are doing direct sales. That's why they're doing direct sales. But they may try to sell you something or you'll get the hey, hun, Facebook message from one of them trying to say, okay, well, I I work for this company. I have my own business. I'm selling this product. And I think it would really help you when in reality, that person doesn't know that much about your condition. They don't know that much about the product that they're selling. And a lot of the times, you know, it can kind of lead to a negative outcome. Someone could get hurt by using these products. So yeah, no, I think it's great advice to just be careful of those. There's lots of supplements popping up across the board that have guaranteed healing powers. And it's really important to be careful before you consider taking a lot of those. And it's not just that like natural medicines or like supplements are bad, you know, because here in the States, the supplement industry is not regulated as much as the actual drug industry is. But with supplements, you can find things that will help you. I just feel that people sometimes think it's going to be a cure-all and it's going to just magically fix everything. And I think that's where it can be kind of dangerous because, you know, CBD may have helped somebody else, but CBD might not help you. Whereas, you know, magnesium supplements may help somebody, but magnesium might not help you and vice versa. Mm -hmm. For sure. Like I'm on a couple of supplements. Some of them help lots, but they definitely don't, I wouldn't say they cure everything, but they definitely aid in me feeling better every day. Something that you had just mentioned a few minutes ago was finding the right doctor and getting it right, which goes both from like a mental health aspect of therapists and also medical doctors as well. Do you have any advice about finding that right doctor? It's way harder than it sounds because people are like, oh, just try a different doctor. Well, where? Like, how do I find that next doctor? Yeah. And so I have to fully understand, too, that I am speaking from a place of privilege. I am a white woman in the United States where I have a full-time job that provides me access to healthcare at a pretty reasonable price. And whereas other people may be, you know, in countries that provide them with universal healthcare or may be in positions where they're not necessarily as fearful of the healthcare system, like many minorities in America are, I think that it's just learning how to trust the system and how to advocate for yourself. Because at the end of the day, unfortunately, no one is going to advocate for you as well as you can advocate for yourself. And so I think learning as much as you can about the doctors that you go to, if you know people who have certain physicians that they've talked to or that they've worked with that have really helped them. And sometimes those people will work for you. And sometimes it just takes 
finding somebody else in that same office that could help you. As much as I like to say it's it's about patience and you have to, you know, maybe you'll try three or four doctors until you find the right one. Again, that is coming from the privilege that I have of being able to try three or four doctors before finding the right one. Whereas there are many people who are less financially secure, who are, you know, in a minority or an ethnic group that may be very skeptical of healthcare, especially in America. And they may not be able to really give it that time and that opportunity. I think the best thing to do is if you ever go see a new doctor, pay attention to how they treat you and how they pay attention to you and listen to you. Because you'll find doctors who are constantly just staring at their computers and not really listening to what you're saying. It's almost like they're Googling or trying to find like, you know, what's wrong with you immediately or or trying to find that cure immediately. Whereas, for example, my neurologist, who I'm very comfortable talking about, she's wonderful. She's drawn little diagrams for me to show me like neurological receptors, like just little doodles to show me how these drugs work in my brain and how, you know, my headaches work even. It's about finding somebody who understands your way of learning and your way of speaking and your way of healing. Yeah, that's all great advice and super important to realize that not everyone has equal opportunities for all of this, but it is good to try if you can. I know I've tried lots of different specialists and some we clicked like right away and others, they talked more about themselves or <laughs> and success stories, but wouldn't actually listen to me talk about my situation, which I found was really hard or you have doctors, like you said, they just don't really pay attention. And then you find that doctor that really does. So it is important to keep searching if you can to hopefully get the care that you really need. And with that, is there anything else you would like to add before ending today's episode? I just think, again, with migraines and headaches and any kind of you know trauma that's in the neurological sense, I think that just making sure that you get to know yourself with it understand that, you know, before the trauma and after the trauma are two separate things. And I think learning to cope with that can be difficult. It took me, you know, like almost 20 years to cope with the fact that this head trauma that I had when I was a small child is affecting me and for the rest of my life. And unfortunately, there's nothing I can do. I don't have a time machine. I really wish I did. But if I could go back in time and and you know, not have had these few head injuries happen, I would, but I can't do that. So I have to try to grow with it as best I can and learn about myself as I go. Yeah, that's great. So thank you, Elizabeth, so much for joining us on this special episode of the Post Concussion Podcast. Thank you. Has your life been affected by concussions? Join our podcast by getting in touch. Thank you so much for listening to the Post Concussion Podcast and be sure to help us educate the world about the reality of concussions by giving us a share. And to learn more, don't forget to subscribe. Subscribe.